All right. The the thing the thing that I I feel this morning and I was thinking about and praying about this morning has to do with purification and just how there is how it seems to me in the church and much of the church world today purification the the reality of the necessity of being purified and even the possibility of being purified is, uh, at least in the circles that I have moved in in the past, very little talked about and, and very little considered. There seems to be kind of a general idea that's afloat in most people's minds that it's more or less, it's that it's possible to get a little bit better Um but it's not really possible to be purified and cleansed in our heart, in our thoughts. Almost like there's scriptures, a whole bunch of New Testament scriptures are exaggerations to kind of get us aiming in the right direction, but no one really thinks, uh, for instance, that you can uh, perfect holiness in the fear of God or that you can take every thought captive in obedience to Christ or that you can be purified and made a spotless bride without, without spot or wrinkle um, or, or that you can overcome, uh, overcome sin and self and pride and death and everything that reigns in man. That's almost been, I think, because it's so little experienced, maybe, um, it's almost been pushed to the side as being a, almost like an extra credit thing or, a, or, or an aspect of what it means to relate to God that isn't one of the main things that people need to talk about, think about, experience uh, in the church today. And, and the more I have in the last number of years, the more I have... I feel come to know more of the truth and feel something of the work of the truth in my own heart and to taste a little bit of God's nature and purpose working in me, the more that that has seemed to be what I just described, that, that tendency or, or, or that kind of direction of so many in the church seems to, seems to me to be a great mistake. Um, a huge error because in a, in a, in a few words, because there really isn't any going forward without purification. If our hearts aren't being pure purified by God, what is it that we think is happening in us or with us or to us that is actually accomplishing anything. I would say, very contrary to, to the, the kind of Christianity that I grew up in, that rather than having purification be just kind of one of those things you talk about once a year maybe or something, I don't know, I, I'd say that there really isn't... I, I'd say that purification is what it means to go to go forward because... God isn't primarily, well, he, I, I'll just say he isn't. 
trying to give man something else besides his own pure life and nature. And the reason that God's trying to give man his own pure life and nature is so that we can unite with God and be one with God for eternity. The problem isn't that we don't have the right job. The problem isn't that we don't have the right spouse. The problem isn't that we don't have the right, uh, don't have enough money. Those, those are the kind of things we usually bring to God, and those are the kind of things we like to hear sermons about. Uh, how can God help me with this thing or that thing or the other thing? But none of those things, none of those things are the problem. And, and by fixing any of those things in a way that makes you more comfortable, God, if God were to focus his energy on fixing those things, chances are you would be no uh, closer to, to anything that he was actually trying to do in your life during the time that you're here. And what he, what he is trying to do in this short time that we have here to be dealt with by his spirit, I always think about our life here as a quick gift of time and space. We have, we have a body that, we, that our soul lives in for a very short time. We have time and we have this, this, we have things going on around us, all of which can be tools in the hand of God and in our own lives to do one thing, to, to help us towards one thing. And that thing is not to get stuff. That thing is not to uh, maximize your uh, potential or to find the seven habits of a highly effective person or to become the, uh, I don't know, become all that you can be or to leave a legacy or what, what are we doing here? Uh, what's our problem? Our problem is that we're living in a nature that God can't unite with. And he wants to unite with you. He wants to unite with you so much that he actually allowed his son to become a man, to, to suffer every kind of abuse, every kind of temptation, every kind of assault from the enemy, every kind of misunderstanding that could possibly, every kind of slander and slime that man and demons could have dumped on him. And then to be killed and... and, and and mocked, hanging on a cross with a bunch of people saying, come down if you can, ha, ha, ha. And then to raise from the dead and have, a, 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 have a, you know, a, the, the Jews say that that was even falsified and faked and that the, the disciples stole his body. And that, I mean, why did he do all that? What, what was all of that for? He did it because there was a nature in man, a, a life in man that he, he could not unite with. He had nothing in common with it. He used to before the fall. That's what, that's what he created us for. Do you, do you understand that he created us? Who is God? God is the one 
who creates things to give himself to so that they can enjoy his perfection and goodness and grace and kindness and love forever. That's God. God is Niagara Falls in, in, in the spirit that pours himself into every nook and cranny of creation that he can find a hole or a crack to pour himself into. And the only thing in creation that he can't share himself with is something that's living in a contrary nature. And so the only thing that God wants to do with us really is to remove from us everything that impedes love and unity and union. That is what he wants to do. And his working in us, again, it isn't to get us, make us smarter. It isn't to get us to memorize all the, all the Bible verses. I love all the Bible verses. They all point to the same God that I just described and describe what he wants to do in us. But we can learn things and we can get smarter and we can take classes and we can read books and yet have still be living in the very nature with which God cannot unite. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to get everything out of you. Kill it. Remove it. Burn it. Cut it. Chop it. Circumcise it. Crucify it. Pick a word. They're they're all throughout the whole Bible. So that he can bring you to himself. Now, this is called drawing near to God. It's not proximity. It's not physical proximity, okay? You don't need to get nearer to God by taking physical steps or by going to the mission field or by flying to someplace other than where you are right now. Drawing near to God has to do with uniting with him by by having his power, his spirit, his life, his cross, his sword, removing from you everything that he could never unite with at all, ever. And, and the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament testifies of a God who wants to draw near <coughs> to his people. I brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings to, to bring you to myself. And if you'll just listen to my voice, Exodus 19, verse 4. If you just listen to my voice, I will make you a holy people. The whole world belongs to me. And yet I want to make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation that walks with me. The whole dealing of God throughout the Old Testament. What did he do in Israel? He cleansed, he purified, he removed leprosy and fungus and every kind of outward picture of things that were growing in living flesh. He taught them righteousness. He exposed unrighteousness. He dragged unrighteousness out of the camp and had it burned 
outside of their people. He, he purified them and taught them how to draw near to, to them. He showed them in pictures about washing their bodies and changing and putting on white linen and coming near him only through the death of what were pictures of Christ, the death of a, of a nature that was contrary, to the, the death of the beast, the death of the Egyptians. How did he get them out of Egypt? I will kill one firstborn and I'll bring another firstborn to myself. What were all these pictures? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That's what he, that's what he did. I, I will, how am I going to rescue my people? I have to kill a firstborn of a nature that, is, that, that will never draw near to me. And so he goes out and slays the firstborn of Egypt and brings to himself the firstborn of a new creation in his son. And why did he do it? He did it because he wanted and has always wanted the same thing. He is love. He is a overflowing desire to unite everything with himself so that everything can partake of and experience his goodness and kindness and yet there's something in man that we hold on to like it's our best friend. We hold on to it like it's our greatest treasure. There's something in man that he cannot unite with. And that thing is called flesh. It's called sin. It's called self. It's called the old man. It's called the work of the enemy. It's called the strong man that took possession of a house. It's got a bunch of names. It's one thing. It's a nature that lives that God cannot, cannot unite with. And so he gives something desiring to unite with man. He gives something to man. He puts something in man that can actually remove and destroy and purify us to bring us to himself. Now, look through the New Testament and, and, and show me something that says anything contrary to that. What is he doing? Why did he send his son to purify us, make us a special people, to cleanse us and make us a bride without spot or wrinkle, to sanctify us, body, soul, and spirit, to, pure, to cleanse us, to, to perfect holiness and the fear of God? Why? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, I'll read you why. Ephesians chapter 2. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's why. That's why he did it. And that's why purification is everything. Purification is everything because union is everything. Rod yesterday in the men's meeting was talking about union. Union is salvation because there's no salvation apart from being united in nature, in kind, in will with the one who created us. 
What is union? It's when there's nothing in us that's not like him. When there's nothing more in our thoughts, in our desires, in our ambitions that has a totally different root and, 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 and trunk and branch and fruit besides the, the seed that he planted in us. And that's what God is and that's what God wants to do. He, that's what love is. Love wants to cleanse. And yet there's no uniting between contrary natures. And right in the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell out of paradise, God showed the tool he would have to use to bring them back to the tree of life. He showed it in a, in a, a very interesting picture, a cherubim with a flaming sword guarding the way to the tree of life. That, that's what, that's, and, and that's what he puts in you. And he puts it in you, not so that you just have a Bible study about it, he puts it in you, not so that you just believe in it, not, not so that you just thank him for giving it to you and continue to live your life in that nature with which he cannot unite. You see, that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't do anything. He puts it in you so that you can be made pure. And that thing he puts in you is called holy. It's called righteous. It's called the Holy Spirit. Not because the Holy Spirit is his first name and his last name, like Bob Jones, you know, Holy Spirit. Because the spirit he puts in you is holy. That's why it's called the Holy Spirit. And he puts a Holy Spirit in you and and it begins to, if you listen, begins to do its work. And its work is to make you holy. And the reason that he wants to make you holy is because he wants everything about your soul, every nook and cranny of your soul, so to speak, everything that he put in you, created in you to receive him and know him and walk with him and feel his love and his goodness. He wants it united to him as a member of his own eternal body, as a living stone in his eternal house. He wants it connected to him forever. He wants no part of it to be disconnected from him. He does it all to join you to himself. And and, and the way that he, he does that is purification. And that's and, and, and really the reason, I didn't even think I was going to say a whole lot about that, but the, the reason I brought it up is because of um, because kind of go, going a little bit back to what we've been talking about in other weeks, because one of the most, no, not one, I, I, think, I think it's right to say, like the most important, important thing that we can do in our relationship with God. You know, so, someone, someone starts believing in Jesus and goes to church and someone says, what's the most important thing you do? And, 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 and Billy Bob says, 
you got to join this small group. And, and Susie Q says, you got to sing on the worship team. And so-and-so says, we well, got to learn these doctrinal points. You got to go to catechism. You got to do this. You got to go to that. You got to have faithful Bible attendance. And I'll leave all that stuff to be sorted out by the Spirit in your own heart. But I would say the most important thing that you can do is to to pay such close attention to this holy thing that God puts in you that wants to make you like him. He puts a spirit in you and it begins to, it begins to show you things. And I, 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 I see things I was seeing some things in myself this morning. This is this is why I wanted to talk about. It. I thought I would talk about it. The the Lord just began to show me things in in my heart this morning. In fact, one of the um, we have a, a group of young guys that gets together on Wednesday nights, and and one of them asked, um, "What do you do when you find yourself like? How, what's the right way to react?" when you find yourself having sinned or having um, or seeing things in you that are wrong or that are gross or whatever. And uh, what's, what's the right response? And I thought that was such a good, good question. And I think that has, that's, has to do with exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> what's, the, what's the way to respond? To the Lord, what's the way to walk in Him? So much, in my view, depends upon the way that we daily, hourly, moment by moment, respond to that Holy Spirit that brings things before the view of our heart or our mind that are of a contrary nature to him. They're the very things that he's trying to free us from so that we can walk forever with him. And and, and these are these are little things and and I don't know that I've ever heard outside of the writings of the the, the early friends and, and a couple other people I don't know that I've ever heard Christians talk about these things at all and and certainly have never heard and I'm not saying that it's not out there hopefully there's a bunch of people that I don't know that talk about this all the time but <clears throat> I don't know that I've ever heard anyone talk about how important it is that when you feel, just to give you some examples, when you feel that you just said a comment to someone and the real reason behind it was because you wanted to draw attention to yourself, praise, or that you wanted to be seen either as a hero or a victim. That's why you told the story. It was funny. Maybe he thought it was funny. Maybe it fit in with what was going on in that conversation. But here's the real reason you said it. Here's the thing behind it. You told it to be a hero or a victim in that person's mind. Now, right then, there's a sting. There's a little pinch that you feel. Super easy to ignore it, to say, that's not really why I thought that said that. That's not, that's, you know... I said it because it's true. 
I said it because what I, what I just related is a true story. I said it because they asked. I said it because we were talking about that subject. I said it as an example of why. But there's still this little pin and it's poking you right in, right in your heart. And it's saying the real reason you said that is to come off like a hero or a victim in that person's appreciation of you. What do you do right then? I see that right there. Everything hinges upon that because that right there is either going to be opened up, spread open before the Lord, or it's going to be closed, covered, and hidden. And the next time you feel it, it'll be even harder. It'll be even harder to admit, confess, and bring it to the light. Or or, or another example. Do you see that what you just said or what you just did or how you just responded to that situation, do you see that it was entirely motivated by your own fear and insecurity? Do Do you see it? Do you see that you just obeyed fear instead of obeying truth. That's why you said that. That's why you did that. That's why you attacked. That's why you defended. That's why you responded in the way you did. You see, can you see, you've, you've, there's that prick again, that little, that little pinch and hits you. Now, now why nobody talks about this or, or, or make, makes it uh, into a big, a big deal in the body of Christ? is, well, I understand it. I understand it. I didn't do it for a long time. I'm doing it now more or less for the first time. But I, what I'm trying to tell you is that right here in those little ways, the Lord by his spirit is trying to rescue you. from everything in you that will not unite with him. He's coming out from his place. He's going into a place that is contrary to him. And he's testifying against the very things that will keep you from uniting with him forever. This is exactly what he did with the prophets in the Old Testament. This is exactly what he did with the outward coming of his only son in Israel. And this is exactly what he's still doing to those who are willing to hear. And, and the, the, the thing that has... Um, become so important to me and the way that I tried to respond to that question that one of the young men asked the other night is has to do with responding to that because right here I want to say it again you know right here you're finding I think the most important thing or one of the most important things in your spiritual life it's not the hour you die 
Okay, like, oh, that's a, that's a real big one. I got to do that one right, you know. It's not the hour, it's not the hour that you uh, decide you're going to be a Christian and follow Christ. It's right here today. And, and what it depends upon is whether or not you're willing to, and I'm going to read a couple little quotes here that I brought from, from Isaac Pennington, whether you're willing to keep the wound open, hold it open before the Lord. The thing that stings, the little prick you feel, don't cover it, don't hide it, don't excuse it, don't, don't justify it. Hold it op- open it even further. Pry it open and hold it before the Lord and stay right there and ask the Lord, what is this? Where does this come from? Why is it in me? Couple, couple little quotes from, from Pennington. He says this, and there's, there's probably other places he says this. I just kind of did a little search in one of his volumes for, for this language. But he, he says, In great plainness have I written to you. This is in one of his letters. And I beseech you to be willing to have, I beseech you to be willing to have the wound kept open in you, which the condition of your soul needs so that it may be thoroughly searched and whatever is for judgment may be judged and destroyed. In this way, your soul will be everlastingly saved by the everlasting physician who is wise and skillful in ministering both judgment and mercy to everyone according to their need. In another place, there's one of the question and answer times. It says, question, how does God heal and bind up that which he has wounded and broken to pieces by his various and frequent exercises? Answer. He starts off by saying, by opening the power of the endless life in the vessel, okay, the free power of life, that is the gospel, so that when the work of cleansing is finished and the wound made wide enough and kept open long enough and the death to the first husband fully accomplished, then the perfect oil is perfectly poured in to the wound and everlasting health and salvation is obtained. This is the end which God aims at in the visitations and leadings of his seed. And happy are they that pass through the veil of misery and drink of the dregs of the cup of trembling, not fainting nor sitting down by the way, but following the faithful shepherd and leader of Israel until they arrive. And this is, I, I just feel like what the Lord wants to do. And I see it. I, I am not preaching to you guys about you. I'm talking about myself too. I, I still have these things in me. And when they prick me, I only know one thing to do these days. And it's the thing I'm recommending to you. It's to, it's to run to him, hold it open, and let him search to the bottom of it. 
Let yourself feel the evil of it. Don't hide yourself from it. Don't disagree with God's perspective of it. Let yourself feel where it comes from until you, until you agree with God's perspective and until you hate it as much as he hates it because of his desire to bring you to himself. And when you hate it like he hates it, then you're no longer going to hide it. And when you're no longer hiding it, then you'll hold it on the altar until the one that showed it to you totally destroys it. And then, little by little, God brings us into that union which he has created us for. Which will be at that time, a time of great rejoicing and thanksgiving for every single way, every little way that we let him free us from everything that impeded his work in us. I'm going to stop there.